Uh, thank you, Ben and worship team. Um, and what a good song. That song to me is one of those um, life stoppers for a moment when I'm um, going through life and I hear that song. I, I will stop and reflect on that song. Recently it happened when I was vacuuming. I think I stopped in that moment because I was just vacuuming and savoring the moment that I was actually doing something helpful at home. But um, really appreciate that. Great song. Where sin runs deep, your grace abounds or goes even more. I forget the exact language of that song, but the point is that where sin goes deep, grace goes even more. I heard someone this week explain it this way. Grace gets to the finish line, gets showered, changed, sits down, has a recovery meal, and sin just finishes crossing the finish line, right? <laughs> that this is what grace does. It abounds so much more than sin, and it's amazing. It's amazing. Well, guys, welcome to Grace Point Church. I'm so glad to have you here. Thanks for making it this morning. Looking forward to sharing some time with you uh, this morning in the last part of a four-part series called I've Been Thinking. And the essence of this series is that there are some things that we have thought about or should be thinking about that are part of the Christian faith that for some of you who grew up in church, you may not have thought about or maybe didn't know where to take your questions because you just kept coming to church because your parents did or your grandparents did or your family did. And others who may not have been in church have wondered, I wonder about this, or maybe this is the reason why I'm not coming. This is a, an objection I have to Christianity. And I've tried to make the case that Christianity, because it asks so much of you and because it offers so much to you, can handle any question any objection, any hesitation that you have. In fact, you should ask them all. You shouldn't hold anything back when it comes to what you question about our faith. And we asked a couple questions around a question before. The first question was, did Jesus really die? And we tried to ask and answer that question. Second question we tried to ask and answer is, is he the only way? Is Jesus really the only way to God? And then the third question last week was, um, how can there be a good God when bad things happen in the world? And we tried to answer each of those questions to some layer of satisfaction. Likely they raise more questions for you. If you'd like to hear the answers to those, simply go online or go back there and you can hear those messages recorded. This morning I want to jump right into question number four. And it's a big question. It's probably one of the most um, practical reasons why some people that you know have left the faith. Some people may be in your family, uh, like in mine, who would use this objection and say, here's why I push back against Christianity. And it has been a conversation that you likely have had. In fact, you have likely experienced this even yourself. And that is this, this question, can, can Jesus work when Christians don't? In other words, the issue of hypocrisy in the church, the issue of hypocrisy, the issue of people who are Christian claiming to be Christ followers who do things that are not consistent with Christ's standards. So can Jesus work when Christians don't? It's a fair question. What do I do with this, this issue of hypocrisy? And I want to introduce you this morning to a, to a French playwright named Molay, all right? And let me just clear up. I don't read a lot of French anything, all right? But I came across the way that he phrased this issue, and to me it was so... Um, insightful that I wanted to begin this way. This is from the year 1664, by the way. Okay, So we're going back a little bit in history. And in, uh, in a comedy that Molay, I believe is how you pronounce his name, Molay wrote, that was just his stage name, um, called Tartuffe the Imposter. He wrote this, one of his characters said this in the comedy that he wrote in 1664 about hypocrisies. Hypocrisies are particularly dangerous for the soul because they destroy us with what we admire. Mm. It's 
So we're starting deep right away. I didn't even warn you, but we're going deep right away. Hypocrisies are particularly dangerous for the soul because they destroy us with what we admire. Isn't that true? In other words, have you not experienced in your life an admiration of somebody who has let you down? Have you not had a parent, a boss, a roommate, a sister, a brother, a coworker who you looked up to, you admired a quality in them, and then you found out that's not really them? Or they gave up something that you really held dear, and in your admiration of them, you became disappointed in them because of the hypocrisy in their life. And Molay reminds us that hypocrisy is particularly dangerous for the soul because it turns this admiration on us and we begin to then doubt the very things that we used to believe. Because if we're honest, when we begin to admire somebody, what happens with admiration, if I admire you, what goes right along with that is trust and belief. When I admire you, I'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to trust you. If you say it's going to rain in five minutes, even though it's sunny outside right now, if I admire and look up to you, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you know something that nobody else does. When I admire and you turn out to be a hypocrite or do something hypocritical, what happens is I begin to doubt the very foundation of my belief. And this has been the problem for many, hasn't it? You likely know somebody who's walked away from the faith because somebody they admire did something dumb, sinned clearly, or just walked away themselves from the faith. And hypocrisies are particularly dangerous for the soul because they destroy us with what we admire. Here's what C.S. Lewis had to say about hypocrisy in the church. And he said this, of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. (laughs) Of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. Uh, Implication for us being that when, when we do things that are hypocritical, as people who claim to follow Christ, it leaves a, a, um, kind of a wake of damage in, in our wake, a, a string of damage in the wake that is very, very difficult to, to deal with. Bringing up to modern day, a guy by the name of uh, Trevon Wax actually wrote this in a blog in, in March of this year. He said this, Nothing unites the opponents of Christianity more than hatred of hypocrisy. The smell of hypocrisy is often strong in the Christian church. If we're honest, we can sniff out hypocrisy everywhere, including our own hearts. Our homes and our churches are a mix of good and bad, with our journey of holiness taking place all too slowly in fitful stops and starts. The criticism is true. At some level, we are all hypocrites. We know how to put on a show. (laughs) We're cutting right to the chase on this one. I, I believe what Trevin is saying is true. At the end of the day, and you've heard me say this before if you've been here for a little while, we're we're all hypocrites. Because because of what Christianity asks of you and me, it asks so much, so high, so big a standard that you and I, we're going to say we claim to follow Jesus Christ, and in so doing, you are being held to an impossible standard which you and I will both fail to meet, and we just become, by default, hypocritical. The issue is simply, am I aware of that? Do I know that or not? But Trevin will say, we are just good at putting on a show. And isn't it true that if we're honest, if we're honest, that we could share this belief that a pastor friend I talked to recently said, he said this, and I've shared this with some of you before, he said, you know, Tim, after about 35 years of following Christ, here's the one thing that I know is true. It is 
it is almost embarrassing to me. It is almost embarrassing to me that I am not further along than I am. It's, it's a shame to, to me that I have not gotten over these issues in my life yet. It's almost embarrassing. And if we're honest, aren't we all there? That in fitful stops and starts we experience holiness. And the problem is simply when we present to other people that we just have a constant go. We just have a constant, hmm, and we're going to be all right. We don't wrestle with the things other people wrestle with. This issue of hypocrisy is dangerous. It's a dangerous one. And the question is, can Jesus work when Christians don't? Now, let's talk about hypocrisy for a minute. Um, hypocrisy is basically asking the question, will the product that I'm buying work or not? We look at it in product terms. So, for example, uh, if you're going to buy a car, you may run a Carfax report on it because you don't want to be deceived by anyone who's had an accident in the car and fixed it up or changed the odometer. You want to get a report on it make sure you're not deceived. If you're buying a home, you have a home inspector come and make sure that you're not missing anything and you're not deceived in the purchase of a big home. When it comes to Christianity and measuring Christianity, it is not unusual for people to measure Christianity on you. Okay, So if you claim to follow Jesus, is your life measurably better? Do you work? Like, isn't there something in the Bible about the fruit of the Spirit? Like, aren't you supposed to be growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? Against these things there's no law, right? So if you're following Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit that you say you're following are those things, then if I'm looking, I want to see that you're a better husband now than last year. I want to see that you're a more loving and caring wife than you were last year. I want to see that your parenting works. I want to see that when you get angry at the employee that doesn't do the job, that you don't act like an idiot and that you actually have a different response. I want to see if it works. Because if it doesn't work, I'm not going to buy it. Right, if, if I see an advertisement that a new Swiffer product will clean the house better, then I'm going to try, and if it doesn't clean the house better, I'm not going to get it. Right? And if I hear that Christians are supposed to do things better, quote-unquote, or if their lives are supposed to be transformed and changed, and I don't see anything, I'm not going to buy it. Right? Right? But there's a, there's a danger in this, too that we have to acknowledge. And this is a very important distinction to make. That if you want to judge Christians, then that's the right way to go. But if you want to evaluate Jesus, that's the wrong way to go. Let me put it this way. Imagine for a moment we have a teenager and a grandfather who are in the same family, and they are sharing a moment in the teenager's house. And they come over maybe for a birthday party. And they both enjoy music. And so the, the grandfather comes over, and the teenager is telling him about the, 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 new, uh, you know, the new album that he just got on iTunes or you know, the way that he listens to music. They begin talking about music a little bit, and, and grandpa's a little bit like, well, how do you, you, know, how do you what's your setup here? You know, I got my, my thing at home, but tell me, what you're, how do you listen to your music here? And the teenager takes him into his room or whatever and says, well, here's my, my speaker over here. And while well, grandpa's like, well, where's the wires? Well, it's a Bluetooth speaker. I mean, it's just wireless. It goes to the mobile device. It goes to my iPod. It goes to my iPhone. It goes to my iPad or whatever. And that, that's what it is. Oh, Bluetooth, okay. Where do you keep your CDs? Well, I, I, don't, I don't have CDs. You know, I get my stuff on iTunes, or I'll just turn on Pandora or iTunes Radio or listen on Spotify, and we'll get kind of what I want. And, yeah, 
okay, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And Grandpa begins thinking, like, this is too complicated. Um, I don't want to have to set up all these accounts. You know, what happens when it goes wrong? And someone's going to steal my credit card information if I do it that way, right? And Grandpa begins thinking, like, this is, this is a bad model. I would never do this. And, and right then, you know, teenagers trying to show him, hey, listen to the sound quality. Man, we can just skip from song to song, and it's awesome. And then the iPod crashes, and it just reaffirms to Grandpa, see, this is a dumb, dumb idea, right? So Grandpa's like, hey, why don't you come to my place? Why don't you come to my place, and I'll show you how it works. Okay, fair enough. So they go to Grandpa's house, and at Grandpa's house, he pulls out, because he's, he's a classic guy, he pulls out the record player. Pulls out the record player. And he says, hey, listen, listen, listen to this sound quality. Listen to this right here. And so they listen. Like, yeah, teenager's like, yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And then he says, and look, here's where I keep all my records, you know, up here. And even if he just has CDs, here's where I keep all my CDs. And here's physically, you can look and see where all this is. And the teenager's like, man, I, wouldn't, I don't have room for all that stuff in my house. You know, why would I do that? And right then, the record player skips because it's a scratch in the record player. And the teenager's like, see? That's why this is a dumb model. I would never do this. You know, what, what a waste of time and energy this is. And wouldn't it be a mistake? Wouldn't it be a mistake? If in rejecting either person's way of listening to music, wouldn't it be a mistake if the grandfather, after seeing the, son, the, the teenager's setup, wouldn't it be a mistake for him to say, you know what, I don't like your setup, therefore I'm not going to listen to music ever again. And wouldn't it be a mistake for the teenager to say, I don't like the way that music sounds on your record player, or even in your CD or in your cassette player. I don't like the way that sounds, and it's too much work to do. Therefore, I'm not going to listen to music again. Because here's what happens when people judge Jesus on the basis of you and me, is they're hearing Jesus through the soundtrack of your life and my life. And they're hearing Jesus through our lives. And it would be a mistake to say, because I don't like the way that that comes out, I'm going to reject Jesus. You see what I'm saying? That there's a difficult and dangerous jump that you don't want to make. If you are in the business of evaluating Jesus, you want to evaluate him on his merits, not on what the people around you are saying about him. It would be a mistake for either the teenager or the grandfather to say, you know what, therefore... I'm never listening to music again because look at the way it's delivered. It would be wrong. If you're going to evaluate Christianity, evaluate it on the basis of what Jesus says. And here's what you're going to find out. That Jesus, like all of us, hates hypocrisy. And he hates hypocrisy in the church, and he hates hypocrisy in my life and in yours. He hates it. And that is what we can all agree on. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture in which Jesus is actually dealing with this issue. And it's in the book of Matthew. It's a New Testament book. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 23. If you don't own a Bible, there's one in the pew right around you. It's one of the first New Testament books. Uh, well, okay, the first New Testament book, uh, which is in the, uh, the right third of your Bible. Matthew is a disciple of Jesus, a follower of his. And in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus kind of, let's just say, he goes off a little bit on this issue of hypocrisy, right? So if you want to see some angry Jesus moment, you're going to see that here in church this morning, all right? Matthew chapter 23. And he begins in verse 1, and he says this, and Jesus, uh, Matthew's writing, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Now what that means is that Moses' seat was seen to be the place where authority of the, 
of the scriptures were to come. So it's a place of respect. They are the ones who are teaching the Pentateuch, the Old Testament. And so, verse 3, you must be careful to do everything they tell you, period. Stop right there. You must be careful to do everything they tell you. That's almost like an endorsement that Jesus gives. In other words, when the teachers of the law talk about what Moses has to say and talk about the Pentateuch, listen to them. When they're teaching the the scriptures, listen to them. But, but, the second part of verse 3, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Do not do what they do. They, verse 4, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Very important concepts here that we have to understand for hypocrisy. Verses 3 and 4. You know people who you're like, yeah, they're a do what I say, not what I do kind of person. And sometimes parents, we're all there, and you're like, well, you know, don't have a third cookie. Yeah, but dad, you did. But I'm bigger than you. You know, I mean, okay, so in other words, I lose authority when I deliver something hypocritical. Like, don't do that, even though you just saw me doing it, don't do it. Why? Do what I say, not what I do. Okay, and we know that doesn't work, right? It doesn't last because there's no moral authority to speak from that position. And Jesus is saying this is where the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are. And what they do, and here's what religious people do, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law did this. They took Jesus' commands, and you may know that they took the Ten Commandments and turned them into 613 regulations for people. They took Jesus' commands and they lowered the commands so that they could obey them, but didn't lower them enough so that you could obey them. They lowered them enough to make them a burden onto you, but not onto them. And they began to measure righteousness on the basis of what they could accomplish and what you would fail at. Therefore, if you are trying to be religious or trying to honor God, you will feel a heaviness and a weight to this burden constantly. That the way that you're going to honor God is by having to follow all of these commands and remember exactly what am I supposed to do on the Sabbath again? How far can I walk with my donkey? How much can I carry? What's the exact weight of that? When did the sun go up and down? Oh man, I got, oh man, I went two steps too far. And the Pharisee would be like, you went two steps too far. You know, that's like repentance, sackcloth and ashes. In other words, I'm going to bring to you a heavy burden. And by being then a Pharisee or teacher of the law who sits in Moses' seat, by bringing judgment on you, it makes me feel better because I would never go two steps too far because I'm a Pharisee. I would go two steps last to make sure that I didn't go two steps too far. And And Jesus is like, listen to what they say when they're teaching the law, but don't do what they do. These people are hypocritical and they bring a heavy burden on the people. And this is what religious hypocrites do. And this is why uh, Lewis will say, of all the bad men in the world, religious bad men are the worst. And I think what Molay is saying is true as well, that this hypocrisy is so dangerous it destroys the soul by what we admire. We want to honor God. And then we see this religious hypocrisy. And we say, why in the world would I want to follow something like that? Look at the hypocrites. They tell me, look at those people in church. And they're singing songs about Jesus. They're hearing the, the Bible taught, right? They're praying. And then look what they do in the weekends. And then look what they tell me I'm not allowed to do. And they do the same thing. Come on. Give me a break. Why would I want to put on myself the burden of that and follow this Jesus that they say that they're following? So it's better for me to get away. And I'm just telling you, if you want to evaluate Jesus, evaluate Jesus. Be careful. Be careful. 
that you don't reject music as you're listening to it on a record player. Just be careful. All right? So Jesus goes on, and he goes on. He's still kind of mad. Verse 5. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. And they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. In other words, it's all about them. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you're all brothers, and you do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. And the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Okay, complete inverse worldview that Jesus just gave. And then, beginning in verse 13, he begins to give seven woes onto the Pharisees for what they're doing. Now, because we don't use woes very much, I need to explain it just for a minute, because you see in verse 13 it says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He's going to repeat that seven times over the next several verses. So for you to understand woe, um, I want you to remember back when you were growing up in your home, do you remember the couple times, maybe even just the one time, that mom got really mad, like really, really mad? Not at you, of course, but at your sibling. Remember that time? And what did you think inside? Whoa. Whoa. Now's not a good time to ask for another cookie. All right? Whoa. Now, in a way, in a way, that emotion you feel and that whoa you feel is kind of what Jesus is saying here. Woe to you. Like, be warned. If you keep going this way, bad things will happen. Do not mess with mom when she is that mad. It does not happen often. And if you mess with her then, it will not go well for you. Woe to you if you hear this warning and continue to go against it. It would be as foolish as saying to mom in the middle of her anger, hey mom, do you mind if I have another cookie? Bad idea. All right, bad idea. Woe to you. Be warned. Be warned. If you go this way, really bad things will happen. And that's what Jesus is saying with this. Woe to you. And so we need to take it that way with the strength of that, with the emotion of that, with the whoa. Whoa, I need to listen to this. This is an important thing that Jesus is saying. So he he begins, right? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. You're you're shutting the door. You're not making it easy for people to come to faith. And he goes on, verse 15, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Wow, that was neat. Did he just use that word in church? I think he did. All right. Jesus, you really, you're going there? You go that far to bring people, and then you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are, meaning that you're bringing all the burden on them instead of understanding the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're bringing this burden on them. Verse 16, Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And you also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. 
Now, that's a lot of swearing in there in the right way, okay? What he's saying here is there was a whole system by which the Pharisees said, and people manipulated this system so well, that if you want to show your commitment to God, you will go to the temple and you will swear by the altar or you will swear by the gifts on the altar, certain things. And by choosing what you will swear to, like I swear by the gift on the altar that I will you know, dedicate 20% of my income this year to the temple. Okay? Well, because, because I didn't swear by the altar, but only the gifts on the altar, if things don't go well at home, I can pull that back. Because it's different than swearing by the altar. I only swore by the gifts on the altar. It's comparable to an elementary school, crossing your fingers, putting them behind the back, and making a promise. I had my fingers crossed, I don't have to keep it. And that's exactly what was happening here, is that this whole system was created by which the Pharisees said, oh, well, they didn't swear by this, but they did swear by this. And you can imagine the chaos it creates when people are not sure. Is your yes, yes, and your no, no, I don't know. And this is what's going on, that Jesus is saying, you hypocrites, come on. You swore by the gift or the altar or the bird or, or your mother-in-law. It doesn't matter. Is your yes, yes, or your no, no. Come on, woe to you, you blind gods. You're missing it. You're missing it. All right, verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. That's pretty good right there. You want to use that as a parenting line sometime. You just strained out a gnat and swallowed a camel. Verse 25 and verse 27 are the next two woes, and this shows what happens on the inside of someone's soul when hypocrisy and living in that hypocrisy and in the blindness of that hypocrisy takes root. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Excuse me, blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Verse 27 is similar. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness, which is exactly what happens when we become people who are burdened, who are burdened by the weight of the law, who are burdened by a religious system, that we know we cannot keep it. But the only way we feel better about ourselves is if you fall shorter than I do. If I come to church 50 Sundays a year and you get here 48, I feel a little bit better about myself. If I get here a little early and you're a little late, I feel a little bit better because my way of relating to God is simply religious and it becomes entirely hypocritical. And this is what Jesus is saying. It's like a whitewashed tomb on the outside. Man, it looks really good. But if on the inside, you've got no life, you've got no joy, you've got no vitality, you've got no energy. Why would I want to be like that? Why would I want to be like that? Where's, where's the energy? Where's the joy? Where's the hope? Where's the passion? Where's the enthusiasm? This is what Jesus is saying. Whoa, 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 whoa to you, you blind gods. And it is a difficult reality because we become blind to it because we think everybody else is like this. This is a system in which I'm a part of. Verse 29, the last woe. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. 
So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. They're saying, Jesus is saying to them, hey, you are um, saying that your ancestors are the ones who killed the prophets. And you're coming right in their line. And you might say, oh, we would never do that. But by acknowledging that you have come from them, you are sealing your own fate. You would do that. In fact, you are doing that. You're killing. You're killing the life of the Word of God for these people. You're destroying their soul with your hypocrisy. And in case you wondered, in case it's not clear enough, in case you actually wondered what Jesus' summary feeling on hypocrisy is, in case you're wondering what he's thinking about related to hypocrisy, verse 33 drives it home. And he says, You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? In case you wonder if Jesus is like, ah, hypocrisy isn't that big a deal. Ah, living in blindness like that is not that big a deal. Matthew 24, excuse me, 23, verse 33. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Now, let me ask you this question. If at some point in your life you have felt... um, like the hypocrisy of the church is too much to bear. The hypocrisy of your parents is too much to bear. The hypocrisy of your sibling, the hypocrisy of your pastor, the hypocrisy of whoever is too much to bear. And, and, and have kind of pushed back against Jesus and the faith and the church as, as a result of that, and you kind of mix that all together. I, I get it. I get it because this is exactly what hypocrisy does. It destroys the soul by what we admire. Because we admired that and wanted that and it didn't happen, then we reject everything with it. And I get it. I get it. But but let me just ask you this, if if you're there or you know people who are there, let me me ask you this question. Why let something that you and Jesus agree on keep you from him? Why let something that you and Jesus agree on keep you from him? See, if you want to evaluate Jesus, evaluate Jesus. If you want to evaluate people, evaluate people. But don't evaluate Jesus by people. And and I understand the temptation to do so because we are supposed to see the life of God in the people around us. But just like our music illustration, there are times when the iPod fails and needs to be rebooted. There are times when you get scratches on the record and it doesn't sound like it should. And there are times in life for all of us where in these fitful stops and starts, we don't sound like we should and we don't act like we should. But you would be foolish to reject music because you have to reset the iPod. You'd be foolish to reject music because the record player isn't working right. You don't do that. Because it's not music's fault. It's the mechanism. It's the body. So be careful. Why would you reject Jesus for something that you both agree on? If you want to reject him for other reasons, that's up to you. But on this issue of hypocrisy, just be careful. Why would you walk away from Jesus when you both agree on this issue. Let me speak to those of you this morning or who are listening later who are Christians, who say, I want to follow Christ with all that I have, and I don't want this blindness, I don't want this hypocrisy, I don't want this to be me. And those of you who recognize that this is a difficult reality, that like Jeremiah the prophet said, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? It's desperately wicked. And those of you who are savvy enough to know Even in my best intent and best effort, I can't guarantee that I'm a a good observer of my own behavior. 
In other words, hypocrisy sneaks in. The blindness sneaks in. We don't see it. And so for those of you who recognize this, I just want to ask this question and maybe put this in words that might be helpful to you. Because none of us want to be hypocrites at a deep level. None of us want to be that. We all kind of know that we have some shade of hypocrisy in us, but we don't want to be blind to it. We don't. So let me ask this question. Do you have a press and confess friend? I just made that up because it rhymed, right? And I hope it's memorable that way, but I'll explain it to you this way. Do you have a press and confess friend? Someone who can press into your life without you asking them to. Someone who can press in about how you're parenting, who doesn't need an invitation from you on that. Someone who can press in on what you're seeing on your computer or on your phone without needing an invitation from you. Someone who can press in about how your taxes were reported without even needing to have an invitation from you. Someone who can press in to your marriage and mess with you in your marriage without you asking them, can you please tell me about what you think of my marriage? Someone who can press in, who has been given an invitation to say, I'm an open book to you. And there likely will only be one, maybe two people in the world who you can do this well with because it requires a great level of trust. Do you have someone who can press in to you? And the confess is what it exactly sounds like. Someone to whom you can confess. And sometimes that confession isn't, I've sinned against you, but I want you to know I have sinned in this area. It's one thing to confess to God, but if we're honest, that confession to God sometimes just becomes an imaginary reality in our minds where we just say, God, I know I said, I'm sorry, okay, please move on, okay. Ah, and then we quote 1 John 1, 9, whoever's confessed sins is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So good, I've been cleansed, God has heard me, and I can move on. And we move on without a real encounter with our sin, without a real encounter with confession. And having someone who's a press and confess friend allows you to verbalize to another living human being, something happened. Something happened. It shouldn't have happened. I don't want it to happen again. I know you're not going to crucify me over this sin, but I need someone like you in my life. I'm just, just asking you, putting that out there, do you have a press and confess friend? And maybe there's a better way to put it, but I hope that's helpful for you to see. The reason I ask that is because if you want to get away from the hypocrisy that comes on us, I don't know of any better way than to choose to live your life open, not only before God, but also before one another. Where if someone were to come up to you and say, oh, guess what I heard about you? <clears throat> guess what I heard about you this week? You would not be worried at all because you have no secrets. You wouldn't be anxious <clears throat> at all in that moment. You wouldn't be worried that anyone found anything that you own or anything that you do. You wouldn't be anxious about anything because you're not living in the blind. Uh, this is a hard friend to find. Right, this is a hard friend to find. And this is why at GPC we talk about our number one core value is that we want to live fearlessly, forgive generously, and speak openly. And if you do not have a friend like this, someone who you can talk to like this, the first step is simply saying, God, give me this person. How, beginning to pray for it, asking God, God, please show me who it is that I can begin to develop a relationship with like this. It is extremely, extremely helpful to one another well and to care for one another well throughout our lives if we have someone that we can both press into and they can press into us and we can confess to and vice versa. Because here's the deal with hypocrisy, and we all know this. 
Hypocrisy is hard in the soul because it destroys us with what we admire. Hypocrisy is a killer. It is toxic. If you're not sure what Jesus believed, Matthew 23 is about as clear as you can possibly get. It is so toxic because it pulls people away from the faith that they wish they had. And as we step into this realm in which we are going to be hypocritical in the broadest sense of the term. In other words, we're going to mess up. We're going to blow it. But I pray that we would be people who see it and who have people to confess to, who don't live in the blindness of it, and who through our own experience with the grace of God that runs deeper and further than sin can be people who extend that to others as well. That we don't put the burden of the law on people, but we put the, the gift of grace on people together. We've asked four questions in the series. Did Jesus really die? Is he the only way? Can he be good when bad things happen? And number four, can he work when Christians don't? To me, this all sums up this way. If there's someone who walked on this planet and who predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off, I'm going to listen to what he says. I'm interested. You've got my attention. I'm here. To me, all of this hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If that is true, if that is true, then everything else falls into line and everything else is fair game for you to ask. So I've been thinking. What have you been thinking? What have you been thinking? What have you been pressing on? What are you saying? Yeah, I just wish. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Ask it. Ask it. Press it. Push it. Try it. Go with it. Continue to press on your faith because I'm telling you, if there's a God in the universe who sent his son to die, who came back to life again, I'm pretty sure he can handle all of our objections and all of our questions and give us the grace that we need in the process. Let's pray together. Our good God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the truth that we can glean from it and the challenge that it is for us. I do pray for us, Father, as men and women and boys and girls listening here this morning and later, that you really would give us the courage to continue to press into relationship with one another whereby we can be known where hypocrisy doesn't sneak up on us, where hypocrisy, while it certainly will continue to happen because we're sinful people, we will claim to love well and we will fail to love people well. We will claim to be fair and then not be fair at work or at home. We will claim to be joyful and then be very not joyful in some key moments in life. We're going to claim to be patient and then not be. We're going to claim all kinds of things and then fail. Father, in that process, I pray that you would help us not to grow blind to it, not to put a heavy burden on anyone to be religious, but to offer the same grace that we want when we fail and to point people to Jesus, not toward a religious system, Father, we need your grace. We need your mercy to come, to fall on us, 
to land on us, to settle in deeply, that that mercy and grace we can extend to one another, that we can truly be changed, not by following the rules, but by following a Savior who's lived and died for us. Give us the courage to be vulnerable, open, and loving with one another, at least with one other key person to open up life to, that we can live out of the shadows and into the light. Thank you for your goodness and your grace for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name.